0: Where, where do you have your greatest successes? Where do you have your greatest successes? I see a few of you thinking about that question. Let me assure you, the answer is easy. It's your couch. It's your bed. These are the places you have your greatest successes. Because, honestly, nobody fails at relaxing on the couch. Nobody fails when they're snuggled up in like a blanket and 800 thread count sheets. Now I would have confessed, I really don't know like 800 thread count. Is that enough? 400, 1200? I don't know. It's probably one of these things where they keep raising the number and you're sort of like, what's the point? But I'm told that the more thread count, the better. Nobody fails when we're like snuggled up on the couch. We don't make any mistakes. We don't fail. We succeed. That's why I say it's our greatest success. Now, the flip side is where do you encounter resistance? Everywhere else. (laughs) Except the couch and the bed, right? Everywhere else we go is resistance the road, other people, our job, our family. Some of you are thinking, I don't even get out of the bed and like down the hallway before resistance (laughs) (laughs) occurs, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. Some of us, our bodies tell us, like, there's resistance when we go to move off. Yeah, absolutely. There's resistance all the time. This is true in sports, business, war, whatever it is, resistance, resistance, resistance. There's several reasons for that, of course. I won't go into all of them this morning. I don't even know if I could name all of them. But I will say one of them this morning where resistance comes from, and that's a simple one, enemies. We're going through Nehemiah. I encourage you to turn to chapter 4 with me. That's where we'll be this morning. I'm going to read verses 1 to 3 first, share a little bit with you from God's Word, then we'll do 4 to 6 and so on through the rest of the passage. So verse 1 of chapter 4 in Nehemiah. Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Let's pause a moment in prayer. Father, we've heard what an enemy said a long, long time ago, and what a group of people probably laughed about, probably mocked and sneered and thought we're so powerful. We've heard from them, but we pray to you that you would deliver us from the evil one. He doesn't want your word preached. He doesn't want your son praised. He doesn't want your people transformed. But we do, and we know you do. In Jesus' name, amen. God's people have enemies. You do. I do. God's people have enemies. And these enemies talk, and they scheme, and they oppose. They criticize, and they ridicule, and they mock, and they scorn. It's all just talk, but it's a lot of negative, nasty language coming out. Sanballat and Tobias say, can they rebuild the wall? Can they offer sacrifices like Russ was talking about? Cent- the, the center of their face, faith was this idea of offering sacrifices. Can they do that? It's this mocking. Because doubt is the number one tool of Satan. He can pe- get people to start believing, I don't know if I can trust God. I don't know if I really ought to do that. I don't know if anything I do really matters. He starts to create doubt and doubt themselves, doubt God. He loves doubt. Satan said to Adam and Eve at one point, did God really say? And on and on he goes. It's doubt. A question invites doubt. All of this that we're hearing from Sanballat and Tobiah is questions to make doubt, which is ultimately from the evil one. So Sanballat and Tobiah mock. Can they revive stones they brought out of the rubble? Even the burned ones? Because they're walking by sight, not by faith. So they're saying, look how bad this situation is. The answer is the Jews absolutely can. Because what Tobiah and Sanballat are forgetting is that these Jews come from a long line of people who were building bricks without straw. See, they don't know their history. Santa Biliot and Tobias are like, <laughs> we can mock these people because we're rich and we know things and we've been here a long time and we've seen how bad the city is. Can they do anything? But what they don't know is God's people were making bricks in Egypt centuries before. And these people getting mocked are like, hey, we know who we come from. They might have forgotten it, but they were making bricks without straw. They were slaves. And before they were making bricks without straw, they were making bricks with straw. So they know a thing or two about building. They know a thing or two about building materials. Satan doesn't know who he's up against because God was figuring this problem out centuries before saying, I'm going to give my people a legacy of being builders. I'm going to give my people a legacy of being makers. They know who they are. So yeah, they can revive the stones. Yeah, they can build a wall. The Jews absolutely have what it takes and their enemies are real, even if they have what it takes. For you and for me, obedience may anger our enemies. So on some level, expect an angry response. Expect frustration. See, the building of the wall for the Jews and for Nehemiah is disrupting the landscape, literally, but also spiritually and metaphorically. Like, For them to get stronger, for things to get better for them is to get worse for their enemies and the people around them. So there's going to be resentment and bitterness and mocking. It happened to Jesus, by the way, in Mark 15, if you want to read there. He got mocked. He got scorned. It's near the end of his ministry. He's on the cross. He's being mourned. He's being mocked. I'm sorry. He's being Well, he is being mourned, but he's being scorned and mocked and mistreated at that time. But still, I encourage you this morning, if this feels terrifying to you or stressful, this opposition can, of course, be difficult. I just want to encourage you this morning. The Holy Spirit in believers is a spirit of power and a spirit of love and a spirit of discipline. It's a spirit that's up to the task because it's ultimately God inside of you. When you have an enemy on a spiritual level, bring the word of God with you. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But bring that word of God. But also when you have an enemy, Jesus said to be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. So there's a real tension there, but Jesus gets it. Now look at verses 4 to 6. This, is, this begins with a prayer. Nehemiah cries out, Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders." So we built the wall. And the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work, turn them into plunder, return their taunting on their own heads. Should God's people be so unforgiving? That was one of my first thoughts with this, was just like, whoa, I don't, I don't really pray like that. I don't know if you pray like that. It's okay if you do. It's right here on the pages of Scripture. Who am I to argue? I'm just saying, I don't often, like, talk to God like that. I don't often think about these human beings around me, not you, just others, you know, around me Monday through Saturday. Those people, like, I don't think about them. They return, oh, that's pretty, should God's people be so unforgiving? Well, I would say this. God's people can stand against injustice with their prayers. I think there's a freedom. I think God's people can safely pray like this, safely in the sense of honoring God with their prayers, because God's character is good and wise. It's not God's people saying, God, do some bad stuff so we get a great life. Hurt those people, ruin those people, wreck their lives so that I can get good. That's the spirit of Sanballat and Tobias, basically. God's people are saying, no, God, we want you to stand up for your own glory. No, God, we want you to stand up and fight for those who build for you. That's what they're asking for. God, fight for those who build for you. Fight against the plans of the enemies of us, your builders. So God's people prayed. They placed the matter in his hands. Should you decide to go another route, I thought I ought to let you know. Do you know what happens to people who wrestle pigs? Any pig wrestlers in the room? Anybody watched YouTube videos on pig wrestling? As a That's what we do these days, right? If we don't do something, we just watch a YouTube video, because somebody probably has done that. I have not wrestled pigs, and I've not watched the YouTube video. But I'm pretty sure that if you wrestle a pig, you go down into the mud and the slop with the pig. And I'm pretty sure, I don't know all of you that well, but I'm pretty sure that you realize that pigs don't mind the mud and the slop they tend to live in it they tend to eat it they tend to just kind of it's their spot you know but i don't think it's your spot really so if you're going to wrestle pigs you have to be ready to get into that nehemiah and the jews don't wrestle these pigs they're just like forget it we're going to turn it over to god and then what happens they get back to work they had a mind to work on what do we set our minds Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. That's where peace comes from, a steadfast mind focused on the Lord. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, in other words, if you are no longer living for another kingdom, but you've let Christ take control of your life. If you've been raised with Christ out of the death, out of the unbelief, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. How do kingdom traders face their enemies? They set their minds. Stay active in God's work. You'll notice the enemies do a lot of talking. A lot of mocking. God's people say, we're going to set our minds. We're going to keep working. Kingdom traders, wall builders, they set their minds. They stay active. If you don't believe the enemies get frustrated, let's read verses 7 through 11. Now, when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on, and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. Verse 1 says they were very angry. Verse 7 says they were very angry. But I wonder if it's not like very, very angry. But I don't know what the Hebrew says. They were getting angry. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. See, that's different. Verse 1, they were just talking and mocking and making jokes. Verse 8, they conspired together to come and fight and cause a disturbance. But verse 9 We prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Thus, in Judah, it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. You'll notice the enemies keep coming. See, now the Ashdodites are involved, and I know most of you know more about the Ashdodites than I do, but I looked up, like, who are these people and why are they getting mentioned right now? Well, for the rest of us, there were Sanballat, Arabs, Tobiah, they covered this side. You're looking at Israel right here. I'll I'll try to get a map in a future weeks, but you got northeast, south, surrounding the people of God. They're surrounded. They're trying to rebuild a wall in this area, but they're surrounded. Well, the Ashtodites are in the west. There's a sea and the west. So now you've got north, south, east, west surrounded, plus a sea on the west side. So really the Jews, in a sense, are getting surrounded by enemies. There's more enemies coming from a different direction, making matters more intense and difficult. Did you think that Satan would give up easy? No way. No way. Not a chance. Now, the truth of Scripture, if we read all of this, is Satan can't win, but he won't give up. He can't win, but he won't give up. And why not? Because God is building a community of people who will let their light shine, who will live for him. They will love him. They will honor him with all their lives. That's what they're striving for. That's what God's leading them to do. And Satan hates it. And so do the demons and the forces and the principalities and the powers of wickedness and any kind of human being who's surrendered into that. They hate it and they resist it and they fight it. And do you know why they won't quit? Because the prize is worth it. Because there's an incredible prize. Whoever wins gets to own and rule the whole creation. All the trees, and river. we love Cape Cod, right? I mean, we think it's beautiful here, the rest of the world. Like, they get it, whoever the winner is. They get Cape Cod. And better than that, Scripture says they get the people who are the crown of creation. Like, the human beings are God's highest, most beautiful, most wonderful work. If you ever needed a reason to get up in the morning and feel good about yourself, recognize that. You're greater in the eyes of God than as good as the sun rises or whatever. Like, you're even better this beautiful work of God, and Satan and the demons know if we can corrupt that, if we can control that, if we win, we get the whole creation all to ourselves, and we would be so much the victors. The Jews' courage sags when this second wave of attack comes, but they gather They gather, don't miss this. They gather, and Nehemiah encourages them, and he says, Two things remember the Lord and fight for your brothers and your sisters, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. Life is a fight, and we forget it. But life is a fight. That's why Paul said, I have fought the good fight. That was his language about life. Life is a fight. So the Jews gather, they remind themselves who is God. And they fight for each other. How do kingdom traders face their enemies? That's a big question we have to answer. How do they do it? They set their minds. They stay active in God's work. Are you active in God's work? You can be active, but not in God's work. You could maybe be seeing the acts and the work of God going around you, but not be in it. You, you're aware of it, but you're not participating in it somehow. Are you active in God's work? Look at verses 12 to 14 with me. When the Jews who lived near them, this is the enemies, when the Jews who lived near the enemies came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people and families with their swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the peoples, excuse me, to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Something powerful happens when Sanballat and Tobias and others criticize these Jews. These intimidated Jews go talk to each other. They share the load emotionally. That's significant. It's okay to feel fear when you're on the adventure of honoring God. When you're out there living what God has asked you to do, it's okay to feel fear at that moment. But don't keep the fear to yourself. Go talk to somebody. Go find somebody. Share that. Not just because, well, probably not because they can solve the problem. No, if you have a friend like that, we hope you'll share. But here's the thing. A problem shared is a problem halved. And I didn't come up with that, but when we share it, when we share the load, when we share the burden, not that the other person's like a Mr. Fix-It who like waves a magic wand and suddenly everything's better. Even God doesn't necessarily just wave the magic wand and make all our problems go away. But a problem shared is a problem halved. When you talk about difficulties, when you talk about fears, when you talk about struggles, they get down in size. They become a little easier to carry, a little easier to live with. They lose their power over you and you gain some strength. Part of not being afraid means remembering who our God is. When we talk about those struggles, we get it out in the open, which is helpful, but we also get to talk about who is God, how great is he, how significant is he. A second part about motivating ourselves to overcome fear means remembering who are we fighting for. And there's a lot we can say, right? I mean, they fought for brothers, sisters, wives, children, on and on, neighbors. They're fighting for each other. But Scripture goes even farther. Luke chapter 15, verse 7 says that there's more rejoicing in heaven for a sinner who repents than for 99 who don't need repentance. So there's a big level at which who God is saying to fight for is people that we're not even thinking about because we can fight for them, and there'll be more rejoicing when they repent. And if you've repented when you did, there was more rejoicing for you than for all the people around you who'd already believed, whoever they were. There's all this rejoicing. There's all this reason to fight. Donald Gray Barnhouse, maybe some of you know who he is. I, I don't know him that much, but Donald Gray Barnhouse, Donald Gray Barnhouse, tells the story about his five-year-old daughter. She wants to borrow a pair of scissors. Little kid scissors. I asked my child yesterday, can I remember I asked you yesterday if I could borrow your scissors? Said I needed these. Mm-hmm. Donald Gray Barnhouse, he's got his newspapers and his magazines, and he's cutting them up for whatever reason. So he's Cutting out coupons from the newspaper, cutting up articles, he's doing stuff. His child loves it. His five-year-old daughter thinks, well, this is good. That you know, he's doing it, so I should do it. So she goes and gets a pair of scissors and she starts clipping and clipping and clipping and clipping too. Only problem is she was clipping up the brand new mail that nobody looked at yet. <laughs> nobody'd read yet. Everybody's like, Donald Gray Barnhouse realizes it. Says, whoa, whoa, whoa. time out. Give Daddy this stuff. Let me cut that up. Let me work with that. Don't cut up my National Geographic, which is, you know, pretty nice photographs. He's feeling it. But he's like, don't don't cut that up. Let me have the scissors. We'll get you some. He redirects the child. She thought she was doing such a good job, though. Cut, 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 cut. She was so proud of herself. She didn't know she was cutting up stuff that was worth keeping, but she's just like, look how good I'm doing. Doing just like, just so good. And as I heard that story, I realized, oh. This is all of us. We're doing things imperfect, but it's okay. It's okay to be doing them imperfectly. In Nehemiah's language, it wouldn't be okay to just like go tear the wall down. right? But it's okay to do it imperfectly. It's okay to be an imperfect builder. Any child of God can accomplish great things for him. It's imperfect, but he accepts it, he works, he helps us, he uses us. A few more things out of this passage before we read on, I have to mention, as I prayed and prepared and was thinking, I, I have to mention verse 13, Nehemiah says, then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places. I have to pause here and just say to me and to the men of the room, you go in the exposed places. You go in the low parts of the wall. It's not fun, it's not in, but it's in the Word of God. Probably not what you wanted to wake up this morning in here, but we get the low places. We get some exposed walls. So we need to be mindful of that. I don't know your lives. I don't know your stories. But guys, we go in the low places in the wall, the more exposed places. That being said, look at verse 13. Nehemiah stationed the people and families with their swords, their spears, and their bows, not their movie theaters and their Netflix, not their beds or their couches. Everybody's involved in this. This was all hands on deck. Anybody who can hold a sword, anybody who can hold a spear, anybody who can shoot a bow and arrow, they're in this thing. It's a serious moment in the battle. I love their pragmatic passion. We're building a wall, and we're fighting our enemies. And upstairs right now, we have people volunteering with the children, but one of the things that's really fascinating is we have a 13-year-old girl up there who's got an adult teaching the Sunday school class, and the 13-year-old... Somehow, I, I didn't hear the three. story. You know, wants to serve, wants to be motivated. She wants to be part of that. So she's being part of that. Anybody who can do something can do something. A few weeks ago, Stephanie mentioned we needed help in the nursery. I talked to somebody. They said, yeah, I can do that for a few months. I can help out till the, yeah, I guess, like Thanksgiving time frame. People can step up. People can do anything. One of my favorite sayings is something is always better than Nothing. Something's always better than nothing. Doing nothing is seldom the right choice. It works great in your bed. (laughs) It works great on the couch. But building the wall is for everyone to help somehow. Some people hold swords. Others have got a bow and arrow. Nehemiah leaves it up to families to figure it out. They're all involved. But something is better than nothing. A person with a sword that they don't use is still better than a person with no sword. Any person standing there with a sword is better than no person with a sword, and in your enemy's eyes, you're a person with a sword, each of you. And when I say "sword," I want to be honest, Satan doesn't see somebody with kid' scissors. Satan's and the demons and the principalities and the powers of wickedness aren't like, Mark Schroger, yeah, Randy, you and your kid' scissors. give me a break. And further proof. They're not like, oh, that's a, that's a nice little two-and-a-half-inch blade knife. You could, you could, know, No, Satan doesn't see that. I'm going to close this up, unless we don't want to end worship early. And when Satan looks at you, he doesn't even see this, which is a machete that somebody brought me from the Philippines. They go to the Philippines on a mission trip. They bring me a machete back. I don't know what to think about that. But Satan looks at you, and if you have this, you start to think, feeling pretty good now this is big you know this is not super impressive and satan doesn't see that and we think oh satan sees this close that back up but it gets even better that's not what satan sees thanks to scott curry he saw me carrying a machete in and he asked if i was going to do some landscaping i said no may need a little help. I've never handled one of these before. There we go. When Satan looks at you, he sees somebody with one of these. And Rita, you're safe. Scott, you're safe. But this, this is a double-edged broadsword. Am I right? This is a double-edged broadsword. It is long. Scott assured me it's sharp on both edges, which means you have to stay in your seat. This is the real thing. And when you tell Satan something, when you walk around in the Spirit of the Lord and you say, I know what his word is. I know him in whom I have believed. I've stood in his house with his people and I sang, Be thou my vision. When I told Christ, I'll build the wall, Christ says, Here you go. I got one of these for you. I got one of these for you. God's enemies are scared of God's weapons. Ephesians 6 lists five pieces of armor and one weapon, a helmet of salvation, a breastplate of righteousness, a belt of truth with which we can gird up the loins of our mind, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, a shield of faith in one hand, and a gigantic sword of the spirit in the other. Satan and his people and his forces and his principalities and his powers of wickedness are scared of God's weapons. Stand strong in the Lord. I'm a recovering perfectionist. I suspect I'm not alone. I get fired up when I think about what God can do, but I run into my own identity a little bit here. But I have to say, our ministries as a church are the mobilization of grace to other people. In our life as a church together, recovering perfectionist, in our life as a church together, let's build the wall to half its height. Everything in me wants to say, it's, it's got to be this, it's got, you know, and, and I go there emotionally and mentally like that's my wiring. But Nehemiah says, let's build a wall everywhere, all the way around, even to half its height. Even to half its height, let's build it there. Because half of a wall around the entire city is better than a wall that's 12 feet tall with concertina wire over here and no wall over here. We can all see the obvious problem, right? <laughs> we'll just run around the wall, the enemies think. Nehemiah says half of a wall, and the people get it. And of course, at some point, they want to build out the wall. And of course, at some point, we'd want each ministry to reach its full potential. But half of a wall is better than nothing. If you see a completely torn down wall, get together with a few people. Say, how can we raise this thing to half its height? If you've got a quarter height wall... Think about what can we do to get it up to the half-height marker. You know, build on what's there. Let's be a functional family. Let people share their feelings with no judgment. Talk about the truth. Build the wall. Keep your sword. How do kingdom traders face their enemies? They set their minds. They stay active at God's work. They share their fears. In our last section, verse 15 through 23. When our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had frustrated their plan, which means he answered their prayer. Mm-hmm. Then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. From that day on, half my servants <clears throat> excuse me, half my servants carried on the work, while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates, and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other holding a weapon. As for the builders, each wore his sword girded girded at his side as he built while the trumpeter stood near me. I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive and we are separated on the wall far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. At that time, I also said to the people, let each man with his servant spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and a laborer by day. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes, each took his weapon even to the water." The Jews had a flexible strategy. They had an adaptive approach to reality. When they got a more accurate picture of their enemies, they didn't stop building the wall. They kept building the wall and they started building the wall differently. They redirected people, they redefined what people did. They put people in new places, they put the same people in the same places with something different a sword or a different kind of tool, or people behind them who had a bow and arrow, they changed how they did it. They had a sword now. They stayed in the city all night. They wouldn't even go get water without taking the sword with them. They thought through it differently. How do kingdom traders face their enemies? They set their minds. They stay active. They share their fears. And lastly, they flex their approach. Some of you grew up in churches like me. I've been forgetting to click the slides. For those of you who like to take lots of notes, let's see here. There we go. Some of you probably grew up in churches like me, and you were hoping that I would say they set their mind, they stayed active, they shared their fears, and they shifted their approach, because you really wanted four S words. Sorry. (laughs) The Jews flexed their approach. I grew up in a church that really liked like S, 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 or one, two, three, you know, so this time I was like, I'm going to, you know, the Jews flexed their approach. They didn't shift their approach. They flexed it. Sorry for those of you who wanted an S. I want to be honest with you. I'm so incredibly eager to have the Lord say, this is the wall, this is the burning bush, this is the thing, do this. I want him to say, this is the wall for living hope, this is the mission, I know you had this long chapter of faithfulness, I know you're doing some things right now, but here's this, I I love that, you know, that's, that's me, like, do this, say this. I hope you'll think about it. I hope you'll pray for it. I hope you're asking God for it, because I think it's there. He's got a will. He's got a plan for our next season as a church. And we're the same believers in the same place. Just like the Jews in Nehemiah's time are God's people returning to God's city to do God's work on earth. New way, new approach. Things have changed. Not everything's the same. But they're back there. And yet they're not having exactly the same experiences, but they're still the same people. They're meant to worship. They're meant to be faithful. They're meant to be a light to the nations around them. They're the city where Christ is someday going to come to that city, this place Christ would come to, talk with priests, worship in the temple, offer animal sacrifices. It's a new group of people doing a new thing for an ancient goal. God's will has an earthly element. That's why Jesus prayed for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven but the purpose is even more obvious than a wall. And like many of you know, and I, I mean, I'm learning all the time, but I heard last week we used to have a second service. And I've heard that we had Wednesday night gatherings before, and there's different things. And the ladies of our church have said, let's have a Bible study, and let's gather on Saturdays, and other people have different ideas, and there's all these things floating around. I just wanted you to know that With all of these things, it might start with a second service or Wednesday night or a ladies' Bible study or pancakes upstairs and all these different things. These are all part of the puzzle. But what's really happening is we're building something that points people up to heaven. We're creating moments on earth where people say, I can find grace and truth there. I can find Jesus there. We're creating moments where we as people get equipped and motivated and stirred up and sent out in the Holy Spirit to go serve His purposes. If it's a Wednesday night gathering, great, but it's a Wednesday night gathering that builds more people up to come into Christ's presence. If it's a second service, great. If it's the ladies Bible study, I'm all for it, go. I won't be there, but go, I'm all for it. I'll pray for you, I'll help in any way I can. But we're doing something new. Emilio, Youth for Christ Cape Cod, we're not all going to be there, but something significant in the kingdom is happening in all of these experiences. And it's a big idea, or maybe it's a small idea, but it's a way people connect with Jesus. It's a way people trust him. And it's not all, I know these sound like big activities. Some of this is just you praying on Monday nights. Would I have a chance to talk with my neighbors this week or a co-worker? Some of it's just maybe when I go to that grocery store or that my favorite pizza restaurant around or whatever favorite restaurant you go into or place, you'll go. Maybe this week I'd have a conversation with somebody and we'd get to start to talk on a heart level a little bit. They'd soften up. They'd loosen up. We'd begin to talk a little bit. Do you know as much as I want a burning bush? Do you know what God definitely wants? You know what? He's absolutely 100 percent clear about in the word. He wants you. He wants you. You're the big vision. His big idea, if you're looking for one, is you shining like a light in the darkness. It's you. It's you being witnesses of God's grace with your neighbors. It's you being witnesses of God's truth at that coffee shop or that grocery store or wherever it is. It's you. There's always concrete earthly activities and endeavors. And I know God will show us those in time and we'll, you know, start new things and, do other things we're already doing in different ways. All that stuff shakes out, too. That's part of it. But don't idolize a program and miss God's priority. What he wants most of all, the highest and best and deepest desire of God, is you, filled with the Holy Spirit, seeing things the way he does, loving him, loving your neighbor, going and making disciples. It's you transformed into the image of a son, Jesus Christ, it's you shining like the light of the world. The programs can change, but his priorities won't. You communicate that God is real. You communicate there is hope, there is joy, there is peace, there is life, there is redemption. You show people Jesus Christ can change everything. Jesus Christ can resurrect things. That's why Colossians talked about being raised with Christ. Because Jesus lifts things up by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is, I'm absolutely sure, what he wants. Let's pray. Father, you do great things. And Jesus, you have the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every tongue would confess and every knee would bow that Jesus is Lord. I pray that that happened this week. We may do grand things this week, we don't know, but we'll do a lot of ordinary things that you can turn into surprising moments at the restaurants and the grocery stores and seeing our neighbor walking the dog and all the rest of those moments. Those are the moments when we're asking you to begin to do something extraordinary. The light doesn't come from us. The light comes from you. The same with the hope and the joy and the peace and the righteousness. Help us this week to set our minds and to stay active. Help us to shift our approach when necessary. That's not always easy to do. I'm sure people weren't thrilled to take up swords and bows and arrows and stand in the low places in the wall. Help us do it anyway because we remember who we're fighting for. We remember that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, and maybe this week there'd be several who do. Maybe this week there'd be more than all we could, immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.